A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Lynn Freeman, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. And it welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh, look, it's our pleasure. Uh, your baby Jackson is now two and a half. I wonder, those that first year, maybe those first six months, did all the theory that you knew so well prepare you for the reality? You know, when I was expecting and I was preparing for having a new little one join our household, I thought, oh, I've got this. I know all there is to know about all this fun stuff that's going to be happening. Well, nothing can prepare you for labor in the first couple months after that. It's just, it was sheer chaos for the first little bit. <laughs> Did anything that you'd learnt, taught, thought about, read, help you in those first few months? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you read all the important theories about infant development and what parenting is supposed to be, you learn that you need to be a responsive, caring, empathetic parent and a role model of self-control and being sensitive to your baby's attention and their emotions and what they're doing. All those things were, of course, really helpful because sometimes you can get all caught up in the stresses of the everyday and you just kind of sometimes just have to sit back and look at that little baby and just, you know, try to focus on him or her and figuring out what they need from you. Much easier if the baby could just read what they're supposed to do and follow the rules. But of course, they're all their own little individuals as as well, and they're going to go off script. Exactly, they do. I mean, one of the things that my work and my reading has always told me is that babies are really, really uh, smart. They come out of the womb really ready to learn and, and motivated to kind of take in any of the information or anything that you're giving to them. So the everyday experiences of just sitting there and showing them a bright colored toy or um, even a bright colored spoon that you're cooking with, right? It's good to show them these things and they're just so attentive to everything and just little sponges. An awful lot of parents, and may I say this, when I use the word older, I'm not saying old, I'm just saying older, um, can be very anxious. They, they bring these expectations and anxieties with them. My um, sister worked with parents as first teachers um, before it was scrapped, and she would say that the teenage mums were really super confident. You know, they just went with it, <laughs> and they were very relaxed. They hadn't done the reading. They just went with their instincts. Uh, but the the older parents perhaps were, were more likely to be anxious, you know, um, anxious about their own performance, anxious about their their baby's performance. Do you think there's any any truth in that? I do. I mean, right from when I um, was pregnant, uh, I was called a geriatric mom here in New Zealand. Oh, I had never, That's a bit rough. <laughs> I had never even thought that that was even that I was even close to that. And so you know, it's it started off really kind of anxious about oh my goodness, I'm in this unique kind of different state and must be need to be aware of things. On top of the fact that I'm supposedly an expert in child development, no pressure, and, uh, <laughs> no pressure at all. But I do think that there. There, there is a lot of information out there about what parents need to do, what we should be doing, all of those different kinds of things that it is very easy to fall into the trap of feeling like you need to know everything. And if you make one wrong move, um, you're going to negatively impact your child forever. Um, it's, it's very easy to fall into that trap. 
I also, you know, have heard from um, young parents who might take advice from, you know, both sides of their grandparents and they may have different views and then they hear from somebody else. I mean, there's a lot of advice out there. And also things change, understanding changes. If we look at the way to place a baby to sleep has changed. We're learning more about it. But that can be, I, I know people who've got themselves terribly confused listening almost to too many people and not knowing the right thing if there is one single right thing to do. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to kind of think about. Um, We sat back, talked about the kind of parents that we would be, uh, and we had this plan. Well, unfortunately, um, or fortunately, your baby um, is its own unique individual. And so you could have this whole plan on how you're going to respond to different kinds of situations and seek all of the advice that you want. But when you have your baby there, your baby could be a completely different personality than what you thought your baby was going to be or how they respond to different um, types of behaviors that you do. Just you cannot predict and you cannot plan for. So getting all the advice ahead of time, um, I think of it as, and same with the knowledge that I have, like you're given a bunch of tools, right? And so you acquire this information, you learn from different people, and you have all these tools at your disposal. And not one tool is necessarily um, the only tool that you can use, but you find the tool that is the best fit for the job and helps you get that task completed or, you know, successfully achieve what it is that you and your baby are trying to do. As a new mum, did you feel that you had adequate support? And I'm saying outside the relationship and the family home, um, but out there in the community, were you well supported? I think New Zealand, um, I I believe that this is one thing that New Zealand does really, really well. Um, So I'm from Canada originally, and we have a great healthcare system. um, But of course, that means all of my family is over in Canada. And so when we were here, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of family to help us out. So we sought the community support. The midwife system here, I think, is a remarkable resource. Uh, Plunkett is fantastic. Uh, We also joined um, the uh, Hibiscus Coast Parenting center uh, antenatal course and so through that course we met a wonderful group of families who have been really supportive to us um, to this point and hopefully continue to be so I find that the community is a wonderful place and if you find a group of parents who you know have similar values but um, as you and are just there to help and to chat with in a non-judgmental kind of way then that helps you get through those really really long days. I'm sure that um, many books and uh, theses have been written about the need to establish patterns around those first six months. Uh, What did you find in practice with your baby? (laughs) <laughs> yes, this was another kind of area where I had a we had a plan of what we thought we were going to do. And uh, we thought, okay, we're going to set up those sleep routines right away. Um, but of course, you have your little baby and um, the Jackson, you know, our baby, he needed to cuddle with us and and have that time with us. And so we didn't start those routines as early as we thought we would have done. And um I guess what it was is at some point we just kind of decided, you know what, let's try our best not to get worked up about what we had planned to do and just go with what he needs from us at that time. That being said, once we got through those first six months um, where, you know, we know he's growing well, he's um, we've got the changing uh, routines going, and at that point then it became a, a part where 
I had to go back to work. And so we had to start developing a few more kind of more strict routines about sleep time. And then we felt that that was an okay time for us to start doing those routines and establishing patterns of behavior that we believed would help us out for the rest of our lives with him. And it's sounding also that you um, and your partner are on the same team, and you make that point, it's much easier if the parenting team is on the same page. But you're going to have instances, I imagine, where parents may have different views on sleep routines or the use of devices or even using dummies, that kind of thing. And I guess you've just got to try and resolve those as quickly as possible. Yeah, for sure. Um, You do have to be on the same page, but you're not always going to be on the same page, as you say. And um, it's dealing with those, um, not having assumptions that you're going to be on the same page about everything is really important because I know there's been some times where I assumed my partner and I were on the same page and then something comes out and you're like, what? (laughs) I thought you totally thought the same as me. But then what it is, is talking to each other, uh, not, you know, right in front of your child, not when you're emotionally charged, but you go afterwards and you talk and you hear, you try your best to hear the other person's perspective and come to some sort of a solution or a compromise and just try to kind of sort it out. Dummy use was an interesting issue for us because I think when we started out, we were, no, we're never going to use dummies. Um, I had a dummy until I was five. My family had to hide it on me. And so we just thought that that was going to be something that we were kind of common perspective on. But it was easier for Jackson to sleep when he had a dummy, and it did make our lives easier at that point in time. Now we're kind of paying for it now because we're going to have to go through a phase where we're retraining him to not have the dummy, but it made our lives easier at that point in time. And as a partnership, we had to decide that that's what we were going to do. Here's an interesting text from a listener. Imagine what it's like to be a 36-year-old geriatric mum pregnant with twins. She says most information is based on single births, not multiples, and the sheer volumes of work required to manage with multiples. In addition to managing as a new parent or managing older kids is, is not really available, that kind of support. That's a tricky one, isn't it? Can you imagine Jackson times two? <laughs> that is an absolutely tricky one, and no, I cannot imagine it. I have... Um, a deeply profound respect from for parents of all kind now and um, parents of multiples. I just I just hope that there's the support out there that there are specialized um, groups that have support networks um, that can share those similar kinds of experiences. And I guess what it is is it's you know if there's a point where you need support, don't be scared to admit it and just try to seek some assistance and some help in that regard. And you know trying to find people who are able to listen and just be there for you is sometimes what you just need. But I can't imagine that. A geriatric mom with twins and not even a geriatric mom. I would like to have us stop using that phrase. (laughs) Um, Let's start that right here and now. Yes. (laughs) Um, Infants, you make the point, need new experiences. So of course they need to be kept fed and kept dry and look after. But this issue of new experiences, you've certainly found yourself I think is incredibly important for a baby. It is. Um, so as I said before, children are born motivated to learn. They just, um, they're, they're, they seek out new things in their environment and take things in about those new experiences. Now, as a developmental scientist coming in at it, I thought everything was a learning experience. So everything that uh, Jackson did, I was like, how can I make this into a learning experience? It kind of got a little bit tiring in the end. And then I just decided I had to sit back and enjoy it. But 
when I say everything's a learning experience, what this makes you realize is that just the everyday things that you do can teach children so many different kinds of things. So you don't necessarily need to seek out um, specialized courses or specialized devices to teach you things. I think something sometimes those are particularly helpful and they help people develop new um, strategies or things to combat the boredom sometimes that happens in terms of thinking of new things. But just um, the experience of cooking um, in front of, you know, cooking in front of your child, making sure the child, of course, is safe from the cooking devices. Um, but, you know, engaging with your child about listening to the sounds of the birds outside or seeing new sights. It's just those kind of everyday things that can really help the bonding, but also help that um, young child's mind continue to grow. And as you say, it doesn't have to be expensive. Just put a little bit of thought into it. Exactly. They're not going to know if it's an expensive toy or something with colour on it that you've just found in the bottom of the drawer. No, and it, exactly. And it's so easy to fall into that trap of you must buy these new things. Um, but my partner is... Uh, he keeps me grounded in that regard. And so we come up to, you know, we had an old nappy box that um, we would make into a musical instrument, for example, or an or old kind of food shaker. You put some things in it and you can make noises out of that. I like the sound of that myself, actually. <laughs> now, you describe your parenting style as authoritative. What does that mean? Yeah, so basically what it means is... Um, not being too permissive. So it's not that um, our son can roam free and just do whatever he wants. Um, you establish kind of boundaries, but you have an ex explanatory parenting style. So, you know, when your child gets worked up and you have to maybe possibly give um, give him a timeout, and that happens sometimes, you explain to them why you're doing these kinds of things. So it's about teaching your children about um boundaries and that there are kind of reasons why these boundaries exist, but in a calm, supportive environment. And what sort of age? Because I just had this flashback to that story that was all over the media, as you might expect, a few weeks ago about, um, from memory, it was about the concept of asking permission of your baby to change the nappy. And it mm -hmm. just went ballistic, of course. But what about the, the description of boundaries? I mean, do you start young? Yeah, so this is an interesting topic, and it's largely debated, and there are many different views on this. So this is kind of um, a sensitive area. But uh, for us, I remember when I babysat for my niece once, and um, uh, she was a year and a half, and my sister explained everything to her and gave her choices about things. And I, in my head, I was like, she doesn't understand. She doesn't um, know these things. But then, of course, what the theory suggests and what in practice now we try to do is it's they might not be actually understanding the words that are coming out of your mouth. But what they're understanding is that or tr what we hope they're coming to understand is that there are reasons for things. And then once children understand that there are reasons for things, then they can start to predict um, what's going to happen if they do something and also give them kind of an element of understanding when they are in control of things and that they can also say yes or no to things when they um, are uncomfortable or need to. Yeah, you've also um, talked to us about it's important to help your child identify and understand their emotions. This is kind of past the baby stage also. But how do you, how do, you do that? 
Yes. So again, this can happen early on. Um, So, you know, at six months, your baby is crying for a reason. You say, oh, I see you're really, really sad. Oh, that must be because you're really hungry, right? So, you know, they, of course, are not going to understand that that crying is linked to the feeling of hunger that is going on in their, um, that their brain is telling them that they're hungry. But what it is, is again, it's identifying that there is an emotion Um, that they're having, that that emotion is coming from somewhere, and that there's an explanation for that emotion. And so with age, then children can then come start to be able to identify those emotions, put a put a word on it and a label on it to understand kind of what it is that feeling, then you can start, you know, getting them to realize um, and talk to them about the things that they can do to help control those emotions. And I don't mean by suppressing those emotions. I mean by just actively being able to cope with them in a problem-solving kind of manner. I think we should talk about sleep deprivation because it's a very, very big and serious issue, in fact. Yes, it is. Yep. Um, Right. So this is another thing going into parenting. I said, ah, well, I used to cram for exams. I would stay up all night. I know what sleep deprivation is. I can totally handle it. Well, again, there's nothing that can prepare you for that kind of sleep deprivation where, you know, you're going on maybe a couple hours of sleep. And it's not that you just need to look after yourself. You need to look after the little baby. If you have other children at home or um, aging parents, you know, everyone has very very different family structures, and you can't just look after yourself like I did when I was going through university. Um, so that sleep dep- deprivation is real, and what that does is it can, um, even if I knew what I should have been doing at a certain point of time, if you're sleep deprived, you can't um, you can't access that knowledge as easily, and then of course your emotions kind of start to take over. So it is really important to recognize that that sleep deprivation. Um, is challenging for parents and it, and be kind to ourselves and being like, you know, we're not going to make what we think is the best decision uh, when we're so tired. And that's why, you know, having a supportive relationship and support what, that you can call and say, look, I need to get an hour's sleep um, s- because I'm not functioning well and being able to recognize that. But it's not just the onus on the individual. It's also other people in your life. If they notice, like I wasn't making sense. Sometimes I was repeating things multiple times that I had just said an hour earlier. Just someone else being like, you need to sleep. And um, and so that is, yeah, it's a real important issue. And finally, I know you want to make the point, enjoy the journey and have fun. <laughs> yes, definitely. It goes by so quickly. And it's um, it seems like a cliche because everybody tells you about that, but it does. And so sometimes you just have to kind of just your house is a mess, your baby just um, vomited all over you, but you just have to sit back and laugh because really, these are the things that you're going to remember and laugh about later on. Thank you very much for your time. Been talking to Dr. Annette Henderson from the University of Auckland. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.